Hi, I'm Ellen Pompeo, and you are listening to Tell Me. Today's episode, I'm speaking to Emmanuel Acho. Acho is no stranger to having uncomfortable conversations. He's a number one New York Times bestselling author, and he's the host and producer of Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. His groundbreaking online series to drive meaningful dialogue around racial insensitivity and ignorance launched in June 2020 to more than 80 million views to date. He's also a 2021 Sports Emmy winner, Fox Sports analyst, television personality, and a former NFL linebacker. He's also just a great all-around guy. We recorded this conversation a couple of months ago, and we talk about Kyrie Irving and whether the NBA was going to let him play unvaccinated or not. Now some time has passed, and I think he's actually back playing He and I had a great conversation. We had a lot of fun and spoke about some meaningful stuff, had some fun. I hope you enjoy this episode of Tell Me. So Emmanuel Ocho's here. It's great to see you in person. Thank you. It's great to see you in person. You're just like what I thought you would be like. I actually had no idea what you would be like. I'm not going to lie. You're going to get yourself in some trouble now. What do you mean? Here's the thing. Would you be offended or impressed that I've never actually watched Grey's Anatomy? Never be offended. Offended nor impressed. Just neutral. Just neutral. Like I heard about you, the person, when I heard about you, the family, and that's when I started doing my research. Everybody loves Grays, obviously, as you know. But I don't watch much TV. I spend all my time just being a nerd and, like, researching things and, like, studying things and getting good at things. So, yeah, it was, it was dope because I got to learn, like, you, the human being, not you, the character. Ooh, I love that. You just met my husband, too, so you got two for one. You just met a friend. <laughs> oh, by the way, I have to say, that was a very brief introduction, but he came in wearing a Dodgers jersey which I've never actually seen him do. We're from Boston. Mm. He usually supports, well, a lot has changed. He always supported the Lakers, Okay. always supported the Red Sox, and always supported the Patriots. I think now that Tom has made mm-hmm. a switch, he's switching, and he just said Manny Ramirez now plays for the Dodgers. Is he a fair weather fan? I mean, uh, uh, I don't want to get Chris Avery in trouble because I'll have to pay. But <laughs> I, the dude came in wearing a, a Dodgers jersey, which was like, I was like, what are you wearing? And then he had to explain to me that it's Ramirez. Mm, I get it. I understand. I understand. We used to go to a lot of games together pre-COVID. Anyways, I'm glad you guys got to meet. Yes, that was great. Okay, so you're doing your sports show. We were yeah. just talking about what he does in a day. He does his sports show. And then walk me through what you're doing right now, currently. So currently, every Monday through Friday, I co-host a sports show from 12 to 2 Pacific, so 3 to 5 Eastern, called Speak for Yourself on Fox Sports 1. All the while, continuing to create uncomfortable conversations, just dialogue around things we don't talk about in society, right? My latest one was with Lil Wayne, with obviously the global hip-hop phenom Lil Wayne, who I submit was the most famous black person in the world from 06 to 08, before Obama became president. Like, I would make a strong argument that Wayne, along with the likes of Nelson Mandela, Michael Jordan, like, there was little Wayne. Um, and he called me, Ellen, out the blue. Uh, he got my number from a coworker, and he texted me. He says, hey, Acho, let me know when you got time to talk. I text him back. I'm like, little Wayne? Uh, I call him, and he's like, hey, I want to tell a story about how I tried to shoot myself and take my life when I was 12 years old. Everybody has previously thought I was just playing with the gun, and the gun went off because I was playing with it, but I tried to end my life. So um, I released that episode a month and a half ago, and I just continue to try to create dialogue around like things people aren't comfortable talking about, whether it is race, whether it's mental health, whether it's domestic violence, you know, hopefully talk about COVID sometime soon. So that's really what I do in a day. And I write a couple books. Right. Well, you're certainly busy. So thank you for your platform, because I think it's so necessary having uncomfortable conversations. You know, Ellen, I I live my life kind of as a storm catcher. Did you ever watch those shows growing up, like storm chasers? People would like chase the storms. Yeah. I try to figuratively do that in society. Like what is the topic that's currently polarizing our country? One that's intersected for me, basketball superstar phenom Kyrie Irving has refused to get the COVID vaccine. Well, what does that mean and why should you care? 
Well, one, he's forfeiting $16 million this year. He has a $33 million contract. He's forfeiting half of that $16 million and up to $200 million, which would be his contract extension. The Brooklyn Nets are saying, hey, if you don't get vaccinated, you can't play. And Kyrie Irving, again, superstar basketball player, maybe the top five player in the game right now as far as skill, is willing to forego that because he says he wants to be a voice Ellen to the voiceless. So that has stirred up tons of controversy. And then also, I'm sure you're aware, emails leaked of the NFL head coach, John Gruden, Las Vegas Raiders recently, who came out and said that the black director of the NFL Players Association, his name is D. Maurice Smith. Well, this white head coach called him in an email in 2011, Dumb Morris Smith, who has lips the size of Michelin tires. Not only did he do that, he said that, so I don't really curse, but for the sake of quoting this, I have to. Um, he said that NFL commissioner Roger Goodell was a clueless anti-football, I don't even feel comfortable saying the word, P-word. I also hate that word. <laughs> and then he sent topless photos of Washington cheerleaders to the Washington president. So John Gruden, $100 million NFL head coach, just resigned three days ago. So that has kind of been in the world of life, the world of sports. I went on CNN to talk about it. I think that's really been kind of a lot going on in society. It's still racism, sexism, misogyny, and then the pandemic. And unfortunately, you know, what we were talking about just before we started was the fact that specifically, I think Sean King brought to light that how many NYPD officers are also not vaccinated, but yet we're focusing on Kyrie Irving. And you made the great point that this is media and Kyrie Irving is a superstar. Yeah. And so unfortunately, people don't really care as much about the NYPD as they do Kyrie Irving. And he's a bigger headline. So that's, I think, the answer. You answered that question. People have to realize the person with celebrity has a microphone, not necessarily the person with intelligence. That's what people don't realize in this life, right? We don't cover the game-winning shot at the YMCA from the off-duty NYPD officer. No, we cover the game-winning shot from Kyrie Irving, the player making $33 million, who teamed up with LeBron James to overcome a 3-1 deficit in 2016, the greatest comeback in NBA history, and Kyrie Irving made the biggest shot, many argue, in NBA history. So, of course, we're going to cover him when he doesn't take the biggest shot, literally speaking now, COVID-19 vaccination shot of our time. Like, this is a huge deal. So let's not be distracted by the fact that, well, we're not talking about the NYPD. The NYPD doesn't have 12 million followers on Instagram. Right. The NYPD doesn't have like 8 million followers or whatever Kyrie has on Twitter, maybe 20 million followers on Twitter. Like the NYPD doesn't have that. So we're not going to talk about that. We're talking about people who move the needle. Right. People who move the needle. So then I guess my question for you is, do you feel like the media should be trying to shine more of a light on other things that other people do? Like, should we be blasting out the insurrectionists? We know who a lot of them are, right? Should we be giving them attention? Should we be putting the attention on them? trying to change who moves the needle? Do you think media has the power to change people's focus? Mm. <sighs> yes and no, right? The reason I say yes is because in theory, people can only eat what you feed them. And the media is preparing the meal and feeding it to them. However, if I don't like vegetables, I ain't eating them even if you do feed them to me, chef. So if I don't care for what the media is bringing to me, it really doesn't matter. I'm still not going to digest it. Now, if we're being real, Bad news sells. Bad news sells way better and way faster than good news. People want to see people cry from elation, cry from sadness, but people want to see emotions. So like good news doesn't really move the needle. And so I try to do both. You know, you obviously being a huge figure in the media, me kind of trying to be an up and coming figure in the media. I try to bring out the good news, for example, real quick. Again, Kyrie Irving, he donated $1.5 million to the WNBA, Women's Basketball Association, last year to subsidize their income. Kyrie Irving, he bought a house for the family of George Floyd. Kyrie Irving, he donated six figures to indigenous people along with 50,000 masks. Kyrie Irving has done all of these things, but everybody just wants to say, Kyrie Irving is an idiot because he doesn't get the shot. That might be true, but what is also true is that he's a really good person outside of that, but that doesn't sell. 
You're right. I had no idea about any of those things. Yeah. And that's the problem, I think, in society, not even a Kyrie Irving thing, because I don't want to get lost in the sports sauce of all of this. But when we're talking about the vaccine, everything has now become so politically charged and everything has become so emotionally charged that like we forget who human beings are. We only look at did they get the shot? Did they not get the shot in the why? And obviously we're all very personally affected. You know, both my parents, and this is the first time I'm sharing this, got COVID. My dad was in the hospital in ICU for 10 days by himself because he had COVID. My father now 71 years old was 70 at the time. So I personally have witnessed, and I haven't, by the grace of God, haven't really lost any immediate family members in my lifetime. My uncle passed, my grandma recently passed, but like a lot of us are personally affected, but let's not be blinded to who other human beings are. This doesn't take away all the good somebody may or may not have done, but we do still need to address the issue at hand. We also just need to do more of, I think, less angry judgment. Yes. You know, I don't have to agree with Kyrie Irving, but I am interested in hearing his point of view and why he doesn't want to get the vaccine. Mm -hmm. You said also that he famously stated the world was flat years ago. So here is my issue. Kyrie Irving, again, a superstar. You made a great point, Ellen. I want to hear why are people thinking the way they are? Whether you're pro-vaccine, whether you're anti-vaccine, whether you're pro-anything in life or anti-anything in life, I'm interested in the why. I got the what. Tell me the why. Kyrie Irving also, he believed that the earth was flat. At least he said he did from 2016 to 2018. Finally, in 2018, he apologized and he said his words, not my own. I just like to see people debate. He's provocateur. Yes. He said that, you know, I don't really trust history and I wanted to see people debate, but I'm sorry, I didn't realize the power of my words and my platform. And so, Ellen, here's what I said yesterday on my sports show. I said, Kyrie Irving is a contrarian without cause and there is nobody more dangerous in society than that person. A contrarian just for being a contrarian's sake. Galileo was on house arrest for said matter because so many people opposed his thoughts. He dedicated his whole life of studying astronomy, physics, and everything to confirming the Earth is spherical. And you, an NBA player who went to college for all of a semester, you want to come out here and say that the Earth is flat and cause a whole uproar? I'm like, what is your why? So to your point, Ellen, I always want to graciously extend an ear why don't you want to get the vaccine? Why do you want to get the vaccine? But don't kick up dust and hide your hands. Right. That's a really good point. I mean, I had a conversation with Adam Grant and he said a similar thing. I said, you know, my argument always is, OK, if you don't believe in the vaccine or COVID, that you don't believe in the science there, that's your right to not believe in the science. But then if you get sick, don't go to the hospital. There's no consistency in your thoughts. If you believe COVID isn't real, or then if you get sick, the vaccine isn't real. But then if you get sick, the science that they're going to treat you with is somehow going to help you. Mm -hmm. You would not believe a trip to the hospital will help you. And Adam Grant said he had a friend who was anti-vaccine. And he said, do you believe the world is round? And the guy said, yeah, of course. And I said, well, why do you believe that? And he said, because science tells us. And then he's like, yeah. And, you know, his friend couldn't really say much. The logic to me is just always so curious. Now, I do understand, and I've talked to several, you know, of my black friends, my black brothers, my black sisters, et cetera, who just don't trust this country, right? And obviously, if you don't know the why, look it up, um, just kind of historically. But I do know there are several people who just don't trust the history of this country, and I get it. So, Ellen, I went to the number one private school in Texas. It's called St. Mark's School of Texas. Tommy Lee Jones went there, Luke and Owen Wilson, et cetera. It's just a rich white all boys school, you wore uniform, et cetera. Now, for those of y'all who passed any sort of history class or geography class, you know that Texas borders Oklahoma. Ellen, while going to the number one school in Texas, I never learned of the Tulsa race riots. I never learned of the Tulsa massacre, which eviscerated Black Wall Street. Why did I never learn of that? Although I was at the number one school in Texas, because our history does kind of omit information. So I do understand, and I will say this, I do understand those who distrust information that has been presented to them because over the course of time, the full picture has not been presented. But I do think at some point, for the sake of the good of others, you got to choose to trust, just like any relationship. If it's ever going to work out, you do just kind of have to choose to trust and move forward. It's at least important, and we owe each other as human beings, I think, to at least just 
have the conversation with less judgment. Yes, and respect. Uh, what happened to respect in society? It's just like, especially on social media. On social media, people just are so quick to insult one another without any sort of listening, any sort of respect, any sort of common courtesy, common decency, common anything. People are just rude and mean. And so I just think we need more like grace, respect, understanding. And we just don't have that anymore in society. People are mad. And I think it's a combination of things So people are, I think, looking for reasons to get angry. Mm -hmm. I think they're angry for other reasons. They're just anger is like an epidemic. I mean, talk about an epidemic or a pandemic and whether people need to focus more on self-care or get out in nature more. You know, there's a lot of pressure on people. There's illness, there's overworked, there's, you know, single parents trying to take care of kids. There's inequity. There's so many things to be angry about. But I think what's important to remind people is anger in your body will manifest itself in some way, most likely physically. Mm -hmm. You can spout off all the negativity you want. You can hate on people you want. You can rush to get mad and call people names. But who you're really hurting is yourself, because I truly believe in energy I believe anger and guilt in the body cavity will create illness. I really do. I agree with you. I think that for me, it's been so hard to navigate healthy emotional states in 2021. I think we've all been going through this pandemic, obviously. But then beyond that, we're all just trying to survive in this life. You know, and it's being made much more difficult. But we're all just trying to survive. And, you know, full transparency for me is I've been trying to navigate the industry. Right? You and I talked about that before. It's so difficult when you're dealing with so many angry people. And it's so much easier to be angry when you're anonymous. You're right. I'm sorry that you're dealing with that because you really are trying to put out a very positive vibration. And we really should be grateful for people making a very specific effort to be positive. How did you, how have you just kind of dealt with backlash, dealt with hate, dealt with ignorance, but I guess more so, how have you dealt with it? It's hard, you know, and I'm a very sensitive person. I'm very emotional. So, you know, I don't think I would be good at my job if I weren't. So it's kind of like my superpower and my biggest flaw because it makes things hard. I think that the people who sort of know me support me. And I know at the end of the day, I know who I am. And I know those people don't really know me. You know, people are so like so much bravado on social media. Also like, ah, fuck him. Protect your energy. This, that, this, that. I, I guess being an empath, like, I really do get upset if, for example, if black people think I've said something that was racist or offensive. There's been enough pain inflicted on the black community. I definitely don't want to be one more source of that. Mm -hmm. So first, I feel really bad that like people think I did something intentionally mean or intentionally to hurt people because to hurt people is never my intention. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean you don't unintentionally hurt people. Right. I've, I've hurt plenty of people unintentionally. And, you know, it's something I always tell my kids, like, don't take things personally. You know, everyone's got their own battles to fight. So back to your question of how I cope, I initially, like, I feel really bad. I immediately get like, oh, my God, people would think that I would do that. I would never do that. But OK, then I try to understand from their shoes that they're walking in why they would perceive that that way. And then I just try to understand why they're perceiving it that way. And that's their right. Mm -hmm. If they choose to perceive it that way, that's their right. There isn't anything I can do about it. And I just continue to try to walk on my path and be genuine, be kind, and just try to be authentic. You know, it's so easy to sort of be famous and have a high profile and go and hide, mm -hmm. you know, not go out in the world not put yourself in front of a microphone. Like I make these choices or I made the choice to do this podcast, but it's, it's a good exercise for me personally and not having fame be a thing. You know, fame is something that can definitely fuck with your head. If you think of it as a real thing. In what way? You believe what people say, 
you know, if people think you're too thin, you try to gain weight. If they think you're too fat, you try to lose weight. You believe the things they say about you or you get really, really hurt for a long time. I mean, I get hurt when people say things about me or whatever, but then I sort of get over it and I realize and I have a great support system. But to me, a way to navigate fame is to not isolate myself. I go to the grocery store, mm-hmm. you know, I want to meet new people. I want to sit down and I want to have conversations and I want to be open about the fact that I don't know about plenty of things. And I just try to live my life as authentically as I can. And that helps me navigate. So as scary as it is, I find really trying to live as authentically and normal as possible and not be a thing. No, that's funny because yesterday I was going out and I was by myself and normally like I'll have someone with me run into the store or whatever. And I'm like, no, no, I'm fine. Everyone's like, you're going to go to the grocery store. You're going to go. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm fine. And I was like running to try to pick up my daughter. So I was kind of on a time crunch and I was trying to get these errands done. And every store that I went to, people were like, Oh my God, can I just, can I just talk to you for a second? And I'm just like, no, can I have a picture? No. And then of course you have to be unafraid to not be likable. Like not everybody's going to like you. That was tough. I don't know how much you keep up on social, but there's lately a trend been going around asking who's the meanest celebrity you've ever met. Mm, No, I find myself happier off social media. But no, is there? Well, that's been going around, and I just monitor it to see some of the answers. And some people have had terrible encounters, but I don't think people realize on the other side, like you said, you painted the story. You're trying to go pick up your daughter. You wanted to just run out as a normal human being without an additional person. Even now myself, I don't really go places by myself just because who knows what's going to happen. And so I get it. But you were like, you know what? You just wanted to be very normal for a day. But now all of a sudden you're getting stopped everywhere you go. So now because you have the intention of picking up your daughter, you have to say, hey, no picture. But to the fan, if you will, who came up to you, that interaction is like, I just wanted a quick picture. And she said no, because they don't understand everything else that's going on in your life. And I think that's just such a hard dichotomy as someone who's well-recognized, even if we avoid the word using fame, right? As someone who's just well-recognized or well-known, it's tough because there will be backlash. Like to someone, I'm sure, if you said no to that picture, they took offense to that. Of course, but you know, the other thing about the pictures is, and this is the thing that's weird about social media too and actors, if someone says, hey, Ellen, how are you? I love the show. Do you mind if we get a picture? I'd be like, oh no, of course, let's do it, right? But it's, you can always tell, as I'm sure you can, when they just have a habit of like, hey, can I get a picture? I'm like, what's my name? Yeah, yeah. They just know you're someone famous and they just want it for their Instagram. They don't really give a shit who you are, what you do. I always say, I'm I'm this famous. Um, Wait, I know, where do I know you from? I'm Snaps Fingers famous. Like, I'm not that like, oh, you're Emmanuel Acho. I'm like, wait, I know you Oh, you sat down with McConaughey. Oh, you sat down with Oprah. Um, so I, I get it. But you know what also is so interesting to me is I love just the, hey, I really appreciate what you do. That helped me through X, Y, and Z. Thanks for that. Yeah. Like that I take with me the rest of the day. Like sometimes a stranger will speak life into me. And I'm like, thank you. Like, yeah, thank 100%. You and then that's when you have the energy or whatever you want to call it to continue on your path because you know you're affecting people's lives. You know you're doing good. That's my favorite thing. It's like, I'm a doctor because of you. I'm a surgeon because of you. I'm a nurse because of you or the show, whatever. That is motivation to keep going on the path and inspiration. How have you navigated talking about politics? Because as soon as you talk about politics, you irritate 50% of people. 100%. Like I just said to you, I'm trying to be authentic, right? I'm no politician. I have politicians on this podcast and I can't even keep up with them. I mean, they're so smart and so well-read and I'm just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to like be a good person and live my truth. I'm not out here to try to get people to like me. Mm -hmm. People aren't going to like me and that's okay. I don't like everybody. I've never thought about it like that. Like I navigate the world trying to make sure like I'm as likable as possible. And it's probably because how I recently came into my position in society, right? I came into it after the whole George Floyd thing. And, you know, I have my conversations and so many white people, if I'm being honest, like, oh my gosh, thank you, black man, for answering so many of these questions for me. We love you. We love you. We love you. So I'm navigating like, okay, stay likable. 
But I never thought about the aspect of like, wait a second, I don't like everybody. So how can I expect everybody to like me? Right. But see, the key there is I have privilege that you don't. You are a tall, dark skinned man. Mm -hmm. And you have probably had to worry about people being afraid of you. Mm -hmm. I don't have that burden. I have the privilege of being a small, light skinned woman who no one's afraid of. But God forbid I be confident. God forbid I flex a little bit. Then I'm a bitch. Mm -hmm. Then I'm arrogant. Then I'm full of myself. All those labels. Because I am small and petite and a woman, so I should be polite Mm -hmm. and I should stay in my lane. So I have a certain level of privilege in a lane that you don't, but you have a certain level of privilege in a lane that I don't. Whereas Mm -hmm. as a man, as a tall, strong man, you could assert your knowledge or you could say things and it would have much more potency and effect than if I said them. The preconceived notions that we have of people and things that just play into our stereotypes. Because you're right, I mean, I for so long, especially after I left the NFL, I played in the NFL for four years, I did so many things, Ellen, just to not be a threat. I went and got my master's degree in sports psychology, not because I actually cared about psychology, but I didn't want people to think I'm a dumb jock. So now when people are like, oh, where'd you go to college? I'm like, oh, I have my master's degree. Instantly, that disarms people of like, oh, he's dumb. Because now they know, oh, wait, wait, this dude's actually intelligent. This dude is educated. My hair is long now, and I got the two parts in it on the left side. But when I first got on TV, it was even all around, very low cut, no beard, no parts, because I wanted to be perceived as minimally threatening as possible. Now, it's not fair. That's not right. I don't necessarily submit that other people like me should do that. But I also realized what's the best way to kind of infiltrate a system that doesn't inherently want me in. And I just had to act accordingly. So my opinion doesn't really matter in this realm of black experience, but to me, it really breaks my heart. You know, it breaks my heart when I spoke to Holly Mitchell, who enacted the Crown Act and has had it implemented in nine states. It's like that hair discrimination exists for black people and that you would get judged in a workplace or in a school environment, children, children, would get judged in a school environment because of their chosen hairstyle. And Zendaya said, I don't want to quote her specifically because I'll screw it up. She spoke about something to the effect of, I'm an acceptable version of what a Black woman should look like. And she's so right. You know, on my show, I'm always saying we need to show a range of skin tones. Yes, because colorism is a real thing. Colorism is a real thing. And again, I am no authority on race. I just want to acknowledge that it's a very real thing that we do need to talk about, that is okay to talk about. It's the only way people learn. But discrimination for all of these things is very, very real. Yeah, let's go a little deeper, I think, for the sake of the listener and the conversation. And that I think, Ellen, so much of the issue is ignorance and lack of exposure. In Austin, Texas, I have a super multicultural community. And one of my white friends, he has a six-year-old son. And his six-year-old son was in the first grade and came back and was like, daddy, daddy, why does this one child, his friend in school, black kid, why does he have beads in his hair? And the black kid, I think, had his hair in cornrows with beads in it. And at that point in time, that is monumental. And to all my listeners that are white or non-black or et cetera, like these are monumental moments with your children because if the answer is, well, it's weird, or if the answer is, you know, I don't know, if, if the answer is some sort of treating that black child as a stranger or weird or foreign, then that white child will now live with that thought that's been planted at six. And by the time the child is 16, that one ignorant thought has matured into racism. And so I think well, the white father, he, he later asked me, you know, what should he have said? And he was just like, you know, no, it's just cool. It's just his hairstyle. You know, speaking with a, a sort of glee, a sort of lighthearted, like, oh, it's just it's a nice, fun hairstyle to plant those seeds. But Ellen, I've realized so much of it is just exposure. I don't know who we blame. I don't know if we blame the country. I've always said one of the biggest issues America made was outlawing segregation. Instead of outlawing segregation, it should have mandated integration. And there's such a big difference. Because when you outlaw segregation, all you do is 
take the words down and put them in parentheses. And like any book with words in parentheses, you don't say them out loud. You just still read them in your head and in your heart. So instead, that no colors allowed sign is gone, but you're still reading it in your head. Instead, that whites only sign is gone, but you're still reading it in your heart. If you mandate integration, however, now we are fully exposed. And so now you can understand why white people do what they do as a black person, why black people do what they do as a white person. So many things as such as Ellen, you know, a white friend of mine thought that like black don't crack was just like a figure of speech. It's like, no, there's more melanin in our skin. So we absorb the sun better. And so we age, quote unquote, lesser or like, wait, why do black people use so much lotion? Well, because our skin gets ashy and you're going to get clowned within the black community if your skin is ashy. Like there are just things that other cultures aren't privy to if you're not exposed to other cultures. And that's why like my real life goal is just exposure. Because to your point, I would probably submit that so many of my white brothers and my white sisters don't understand like wait, there's no way black people get discriminated upon based upon their hair. Yes, there's a reason my hair isn't twisted or in cornrows. Or I'm a 6'2", 240-pound black man. If my hair was dreadlocked, I cannot imagine what I would have to overcome just off instant sight. 6'2", 240, if I have dreads, I'm instantly a criminal. I'm instantly a thug. I'm instantly a dumb jock. I'm instantly all of these things which I am not inherently. And there's just got to be more exposure. I agree with you. You just said so many brilliant things. What comes to mind is when you speak about hair and your friend's son asking him a question, there's also another level to that, which is an opportunity. Every moment with children is an opportunity to teach them. Mm -hmm. There's an opportunity to teach your kids to look into it yourself if you don't know and say, look into the history of black hair and culturally, you know, how they came to be. Mm -hmm. There's just amazing history lesson that they will never teach you also in school. Lizzo did a TED talk about twerking. Did you see this? I have not. Oh, it's so good. I love her so much. She did a TED talk about twerking and about the origins of twerking and its origins in African dance. Mm -hmm. And I just thought it was so brilliant. And my daughters who are seven and 12, you know, they hear the word twerking, they know about twerking, they've seen people do it. And so I often say to them, stop doing that. Your dad's going to go crazy if he sees you trying to twerk or hears about you trying to twerk. You're seven and 12. Stop it. But then I watched Lizzo's TED Talk and I thought, there's an opportunity there. And I brought them both in the kitchen and I sat them down and I made them watch Lizzo's TED Talk as I watched it myself. And I thought, thank you, Lizzo, for giving this TED Talk and teaching us the historic origins of twerking mm -hmm. and its relationship to African dance and where it originated. That's a history lesson. Yeah. So I agree with everything you said, but I think we can double down mm -hmm. on these teachable moments. And then to your point about exposure. Yeah. You know, during the racial reckoning and the protests across the world, so many of my friends said, you know, I had no idea. And to be honest, watching documentaries and reading books, you're still not going to know. Mm -hmm. You're still not going to get it. You got to make some new friends yeah. and you can't be offended if black people don't want to be your friend. Black people have absolutely no reason to trust white people. And we have to be okay with that. But if you have opportunities to widen your circle with any different cultural community, not just black and white, you're not going to truly understand the difference. And you'll never truly understand their experience, mm -hmm. but you may just get a little bit more of a window into it if you spend time with people of different backgrounds and cultures. Yeah, I, I fervently believe that one's experience is their expertise. So if you really want to get expertise in something, some topic, you got to deal with somebody else's experience. Again, like you said, it's not just a black and white thing. But then even you made a great point prior in that, you know, every conversation with a child is an opportunity to teach them. But you can't teach what you don't know. And I think that's probably the biggest issue in society, really, as it pertains to kind of the racial disconnect and racial barrier, is that we have a bunch of uneducated teachers and by that, I really mean parents, because our parents are our biggest teachers and our parents are our best teachers. But as it pertains to race, we have a bunch of uneducated parents in regards to race, because our society, historically speaking and generally speaking, has just kind of brushed history under the rug. Or I've identified, Ellen, there's that difference between an autobiography and a biography, 
right? Autobiography is about the author by the author. Biography is just about somebody. American history is an autobiography. It's written by white people about white people, generally speaking. If Emmanuel Acho were to write his own book about himself, I promise you I'm going to sound a lot better than I really was. As I, do. And I promise you I will be the best looking, most intelligent, most athletic person to have ever walk the earth. And I think we just have to be cognizant of the fact of like, we have to be better teachers for the next generation, but you can't teach what you don't know. So it's not just books like ones I wrote or documentaries like what Ava DuVernay puts out seemingly every six months, but rather really just broadening your own understanding of anything. And the kicker is we already do it in society for other reasons. When you go on a trip to Cabo or Cancun or whatever the case may be, you prepare yourself for that culture you're going to go into. You exchange your money. You look up certain words. You research. You do your homework. Why wouldn't you do that in the culture and country you live in every single day? It's true. Maybe people need to do it more also, you know, when they travel. Mm -hmm. The exchange of money is something you have to do. What about doing things not just because you absolutely have no other choice, but you respect that other culture enough and care about that other culture enough to take the time to maybe learn some of their customs? That would be a selfless act and one more toward learning. Mm -hmm. I think honestly, like that's the next step in society for us. People always ask me, are you optimistic about where we're headed as a society? And I'm like, yes, but I don't think equality of any type is a finish line we cross, but rather a road we travel. And just like when you go to a beach and you get into the water, after a while, if you look up, you're far distance from the shore. And I think that's where we have to get to with equality. We'll never say like, ta-da, we did it. Everything is equal. Sexism is gone. Racism is gone. Homophobia is gone, et cetera. But at least we can progress as a society. But it will take, I think, daily deposits from individuals who realize there's work to be done and who, like you said, are teaching that next generation of the work that needs to be done. Yeah, I wish I felt as optimistic about it as you do. I think, you know, recently the stuff in Texas, you know, is really unbelievable that we're just dealing with this now, a ban on abortions in 2021. To add insult to injury, not only a ban on abortions, but a bounty on the heads of anyone who helps a woman try to get an abortion is the most archaic bullshit. I mean, you talk about old white men terrified to lose their grip. That's the other idea that somehow if I give you half of my peanut butter and jelly mm -hmm. sandwich, that I'm not going to have enough. And it's like, no, I'll be fine. I don't need two halves. I'd rather have you happy and me happy. And we both have full bellies than me just have all my peanut butter and jelly by myself. And then you sit there hungry. That doesn't fill my heart. Yeah. It doesn't make me happy to see someone else suffer. And I have all the toys. I recently heard this quote, like, what is a dream for one is a nightmare for another. And when you talk about people afraid to lose their grip, I think that's probably the driving factor behind so many decisions is people in power worried about what will happen if they give up any bit of their power. I think that's a big issue of like, you know, even when you start to talk about reparations or like anything which tries to level the playing field, it's like, Wait, but if we give more jobs to women, then me as a man, I might lose my job. They might take a job from me. If we give more jobs to black people, then me as a non-black person or a white person, I might lose my job. What, what, what about that? And I think so much of it is a fear of running out, is a fear of not having enough. It's not a zero-sum game. Like, there's enough to go around, I think, for everyone but to your point, it's all about power. And I, I live by the quote, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And that's why we've gotten to where we've gotten in society is the matter of power, too many people having power and power corrupting and the decision makers at the top all looking and sounding like each other. And you can't actually help a people group if you don't know what the people group needs help with. So you're now you're just sitting there guessing. You just got a room full of men trying to figure out what's best for women a room full of white people trying to figure out what's best for black people. And regardless of how well-intended or lack thereof they are, it will never actually be executed properly. And I think that's also where we've gotten to and what we need to find a way to fix. Yeah. People who support, who are very on the quote-unquote right side of these issues, 
How do all these women in Texas support these men making decisions for them? Well, Texas is interesting. I don't know if you saw, um, I think this was in Texas. It was just recently announced that like for every book we have about the Holocaust, we need another book of an opposing view. Who said that? I didn't even get the details. Like it recently just hit my timeline and I was like, what the heck is an opposing view of the Holocaust? It's again, it's like these contrarians who just want to, they just want to say something different. It's like oppositional defiance. They just want to be. Heard that before. It, I like it's that. like a child psychology term. They just want to say no and just want to say something opposite just to be provocative, just to provoke. It's like the way they get attention or the way their brain works. Like I said this yesterday. The devil doesn't always need an advocate. So everybody's like, well, 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 let me play devil's advocate. You know what? You cannot play angel's advocate for a second, right? The devil has plenty of advocation. There doesn't need to be in this instance, like an opposing view. Well, what about, well, what about the opposing view of the Holocaust? What? Like I sat down Ellen in May with the youngest Holocaust survivor. Tova Friedman was her name, 84 years of age. Amazing, amazing, amazing woman. And she literally looked at me, she's about maybe four foot 10 in stature. And she said, promise me you'll tell my story. She was like, I don't know how much longer I'll have on this earth, but promise me you'll carry on my story. And now Tova told me the story about when she was five and she had to, she was taken to Auschwitz and she remembers landing and getting off the cattle car and she couldn't make eye contact with the Nazis and whatnot, but she remembers looking at these dogs and just the drool coming out of their face because she was the same height as a dog. And she remembers telling me that when she went to the gas chambers, it was broken that day. And so she returned to her camp. And as she was going to the gas chamber, she heard a voice, Tova, Tova, where are you going? And now, mind you, her name was no longer Tova after arriving at the Holocaust camp. Her name was now A26, like 1000, et cetera. She has a tattoo still on her left arm. And so when she heard that name, she was like, it must be her mother. And she goes to the gas chamber. The gas chamber was broken that day. So she's leaving the gas chamber. And as she's leaving the gas chamber, that's when finally the opposing army arrives. And all of a sudden, like the war has now come to a conclusion. But the German soldiers were still trying to eviscerate everything, light everything on fire and trying to kill everybody that was left. So Tova had to hide with a corpse with the sheet laying over her. And she remembers holding the corpse, wishing it was a doll. Now, tragic story. Tova ends up surviving. She tells me this, and I tell this story again to say that, like, one, bringing everything full circle of there's nothing like firsthand experience and conversation. Because I've read so many books, Ellen, and watched so many documentaries on the Holocaust, but talking to Tova Friedman brought everything real to me. But then, two, I say this to bring our conversation full circle of there doesn't need to be an opposing view to that. You know what I mean? Like, there, there doesn't need to be any sort of, like, counter to the Holocaust. But in our society, what you say, oppositional defiance, it's just, well, let me just have an opposing view for the sake of having an opposing view. And not everything needs an opposing view. I completely agree with you. Not everything needs an opposing view. Why? Why when you have this person, and this can apply to everything, this can apply to our healthcare workers, to bring it full circle to vaccines. It's like when you have healthcare workers crying and breaking down and saying like, this is super real. Why would they be doing that? Why would Tova tell that story? If it didn't happen, if it isn't real, people aren't going to great lengths to get tattoos on their arm, to make a video of themselves breaking down in a car after a 16 hour shift and 17 people coding. Like they're not making that up. So yeah, what is that need to have to oppose what they're saying. What do you get out of that? Mm -hmm. And so I think the only thing to say to that is just know if you are someone who loves oppositional defiance and you love to defy these things that very often it's hurtful when it's something that there's so much evidence of. When there's real numbers and statistics behind something, it's better for us all to just sort of educate ourselves and look into it and use social media and use all the technology we have to just sort of say, why is that? We can just keep trying to put the messages out there, Emmanuel. It's going to be up to people to try to grasp it or not. But I think anger makes you old. <laughs> and that's how you stay so young. Everyone's so mad. Everyone's so judgmental. Yes. Did you listen to Kanye's album? 
I did. I didn't love it. I thought the performance piece was pretty. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't understand some of the talent choices. What's interesting, and I'm actually interested in this just from an entertainment perspective, coming from you who's been at just the top of an entertaining industry. So you fall in love with an artist based upon who they used to be. But an artist and their work matures over time and they change over time. But I'm not in love with the new artist. I fell in love with the old artist. Who's at fault? Like, for example, Grey's. Say I loved the first, I don't know, four seasons of Grey's. But, well, you and, and the whole crew and the EPs, et cetera, the show was supposed to evolve. But I fell in love with the old mm-hmm. show. Yeah. I didn't necessarily fall in love with the new show. Mm-hmm. Who's at fault? It's no one's fault. What do you mean? It's no one's fault. It's your fault for thinking someone's fault. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's like, then you only listen to his older music, right? I think the verse with Jay on the new album is the best piece of it, by the way. <laughs> um... Again, I don't like everything. As an artist, personally, me, I don't expect people to embrace someone's whole entire journey. People love certain albums, and then the artist moves on and does a completely new look, a completely new sound. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to love everything they do. I don't expect people to love every season of Grey's. And if I go on to do anything else after Grey's, acting-wise, I fully, fully expect most people to not embrace it. I have no reason to think that people are fans of just mine and they're going to follow me into anything I do. Mm-hmm. That's definitely not true. They like me on Grey's Anatomy and they like certain other people on Grey's Anatomy. So, you Question. know. Yeah. How do you balance when you play individuals who have played a role so well that the world can't see them as anything else, right? Like Jaleel White. He played Steve Urkel. And he was so unique and played it so well that he's forever Urkel. Yeah. Carlton from Fresh Prince, Alfonso Ribeiro, played it so uniquely and so well that he's forever in our minds Carlton. Again, like I told you, full transparency, my best friend loves Grey's Anatomy. I've never watched an episode. If you do go on to pursue other projects, other passions, other things, don't you think you'll run into that issue that you'll forever be Meredith Grey? Of course. But isn't LeBron James always going to be a basketball player, right? Mm -hmm. Some people will see LeBron as a Heat player. Some people will know him as a Laker. But does that mean I don't respect the I Promise School initiative Mm -hmm. that he started? Let's talk about evolution and reinvention. And reinvention is invention. And if we support someone, we at least should take an interest in their evolution because evolution is interesting, Mm -hmm. right? Tom Brady, is he always just going to be a Patriot? No, he's not. Now he's a Tampa player, right? And should we never embrace him, you know, as a businessman if he's going into different ventures? Kanye is a great example. People are a fan of Kanye's music. He evolved into a clothing designer or a Mm -hmm. shoe designer or whatever it was. People really embrace the shoes, Whether people embrace you or not, you still have to follow your truth. We all still have to evolve as people. Should LeBron not have opened a school because people will only ever see him as a basketball player? Mm -hmm. I would bet every single child and parent and teacher at that school are thrilled that LeBron decided to evolve. When people come up to you, do they call you Meredith or Ellen? Either one. Either one. If they say no, if they say Meredith, I say, What's my name? If you're out in public and somebody's like, Oh, Meredith, do you look? No. But do you hear it? Yeah, of course. But you hear both. Your brain is now trained to in a crowded room be able to hear. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. But that's how impactful that character has (laughs) been, you know, in their life. I can't be mad at that. I was talking to a high-level actor, and he told me that before he plays a role, he has to zip himself up into a character. But oftentimes, people forget to zip the character off. Do you ever actually feel like you're Meredith in real life? No. In, like, a medical situation, I get super freaked out. So none of that has, like, seeped into your person? Like, are Ellen and Meredith two totally different people? No, of course not. Like, I just go to work and put on scrubs. What are you talking about? (laughs) I will say that my public persona is like very sort of Meredith-like. Who I am privately is definitely not like Meredith at all. Like I'm definitely, you know, I drink tequila and listen to hip hop music, (laughs) you know, and I'm a very different person. Okay, I got one final one for you. Yeah. How do you balance, because this is what I'm trying to navigate, how do you balance your confidence with humility, right? Because you have, and I don't know the statistics, but I would assume... 
one of the greatest shows in modern history. You know, you're the most famous character of one of the most beloved shows. But in the same manner, you have to be like a humble, modest, you know, person. You can't be feeling yourself, but you also are just a bad A. How do you balance that? By trying to be a genuine person, like I said before. Do you know what I mean? It's I don't make the show alone. There's a brilliant cast always on the show. It's always been us. We make the show. There's 200 or 225, however many, crew members that make our show. There's writers. Shonda Rhimes created the show. I don't do anything alone at all. I mean, shit, I have three kids. I don't even go to the bathroom alone, <laughs> Emmanuel. But also, as soon as I'm confident, it's like, oh, it's not confidence, it's arrogance. Mm-hmm. Right? It's interesting. It's like there's a very fine line. If I try to flex or be confident, it's, oh, she's arrogant. Right? God forbid I celebrate any of my success. But the truth is, I don't come from any means. I wasn't necessarily surrounded by any of it. So I have to be grateful for having gotten this far. And all the haters keep me humble. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? The haters make the world go round. Like, you know? One of my favorite quotes, I don't have haters, just fans in denial. <laughs> um, that's it. I live by it. No haters. I just have fans in denial. Yeah. Oh, man. This was so fun. This was great. This was great. And I'm glad we got to do it in person. Yes, I'm glad. I'm really grateful. How are you liking L.A.? I'm trying to navigate, like, the people versus the city. I love the weather. I love the city. The people are interesting, especially transplants like me, because everybody's trying to climb the ladder in the industry and get somewhere. And now people only know me as Uncomfortable Conversations guy. And so everything is kind of based around that. But I love the city, trying to find like a community. That's the biggest thing. I'm so community based. But um, I don't think I'll leave. Like, I love L.A. Yeah, it's great. Don't worry about what people think of you or how they think of you. You can never control that. So just keep focusing on what you're doing, putting out positive messages. And your evolution will be your evolution. And they'll either follow you on that evolution or they can't. But you'll be happy with how you evolve. You'll follow your truth. You'll do what feels good to you. And fuck the haters. Acho, fuck them. Great parting message. (laughs) Amazing. <laughs>